Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly. And today we are going to be talking with Jeff Cavins, a well-known author, speaker, and Bible teacher. He has an MA in theology from Franciscan University in Steubenville, and of course is best known as the creator and founder of the popular Great Adventure Bible Study series published by Ascension Press. And uh, he's also uh, the host of a weekly podcast called The Jeff Caven Show. And Jeff and his wife, Emily, live in the Twin Cities area of Minneapolis, St. Paul in Minnesota. And they are also the proud parents of three daughters and have three grandchildren at this point. And uh, today's a really special treat for me as Jeff and I have known each other since around 1996 or 97, even prior to his return to the Catholic Church and my coming into the church. So Jeff, welcome to the program. Good to be with both of you. And yes, it uh, 1996 seems like a long, long time ago. <laughs> it sure does. And a lot of things have happened to both of us between then and now, that's for sure. That's right. Well, Jeff, it's great to have you with us this uh, today and, and to have you at our DIA School Summit a couple of years ago when we had it at uh, Providence Academy uh, in your neck of the woods. Um, and as Father Randy mentioned, you and your family are in the Twin Cities area. We'd love to learn a little bit more about your upbringing. You're from the Twin Cities. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, from the age of uh, about five up, I was in the Twin Cities and uh, grew up in the suburbs in the Western suburbs, kind of an average Catholic boy in America, uh, went to mass every week and, uh, said prayers before we ate and before we went to bed and, and, uh, the rest was, uh, bicycle riding and playing and hockey and everything else. And so I, I really did have an average Catholic boy's life in the twin cities. And by the time I was about 18 in uh, 17 or so in, in high school, 17 years old, I really started reaching out to find out, you know, the answers to the big questions in life and philosophy and religion. And, and that led me to a, uh, a powerful conversion to the Lord at 18 years of age. As you know, Jeff, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith and those who return like yourself are oftentimes called reverts. I don't know how you feel about yeah. that term or not, but, but uh, you were talking about having this amazing encounter with the Lord and 
I'm uh, assuming that that led you away from the Catholic Church and into Protestantism at that time. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, it didn't happen right away, but I was 18 and I had a, a powerful conversion experience and immediately went into a Catholic charismatic prayer group. And they were listening to CDs or not CDs, I guess, cassettes back then on uh, Father Michael Scanlon and um, uh, uh, see, uh, there's a bunch of others, a big, big, big conference in um, Kansas City, charismatic conference. Right. And uh, so I, I just couldn't get enough of reading the Bible. I got a, I got a Bible and uh, I started reading it and I couldn't get enough of it. And I couldn't even go back to my college classes because I just kept reading the Bible and reading the Bible. And and then eventually made the decision that I was going to go to Bible college. And I still hadn't left the Catholic Church at that point. So I went down to Dallas, Texas, and I went uh, through uh, Bible college. And, um, and then it was after that that I came back to the Twin Cities to go through broadcasting school because that was really my first love was to get into broadcasting. And I, I did, and I went to Valley City, North Dakota, and it was there that I ended up uh, joining an Assembly of God church, and I left the Catholic church in rather rare form by yelling at a bishop publicly and told him I had had it with the Catholic church, and I'm not, I'm not ever coming back. Oh and then yeah. uh, that, led, that led me back into, uh, into radio, Christian radio in Iowa, and then I went back to school and became a Protestant pastor for 12 years. And where was that, that that took place? Uh, that took place, uh, I was living in Iowa, Pella, Iowa at the time when I was in uh, radio, uh, Christian radio. And, uh, and then I went down to Bradenton, Florida for, my, for further schooling and then uh, came back. And I uh, was a pastor for seven years in, in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota, and then five years in Dayton, Ohio. And that's, that's where I, I made the, uh, the, uh, the study and the effort to find out about this early church more. And that led me back into the Catholic Church. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your return to the church. I think it was in Dayton where you and I first met. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I started, re, I started, well, I was in probably my 10th year as a pastor and we had a good church. Uh, we were big, big, big into studying the early uh, Jewish roots of Christianity. We even taught Hebrew at our church. And, uh, and I just, I wanted to be in touch with that church that he started. And I wanted to walk with him as a disciple the way the disciples did. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have a personal relationship with theology. I wanted a personal relationship with a person, and and that was Jesus. And so the more I studied, the more I got into the early church fathers. The more I got into the early church fathers, I started to realize that there were a number of key uh, items that my church wasn't experiencing, like the papacy, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary as the Gevera, the Queen Mother, uh, the concept of the Word of God being Scripture and, and tradition, um, this, the Eucharist, of course. And so I, as I started to study these, these uh, common denominators of the early church, I went into kind of a, a crisis of faith because the church I was pastoring, to be honest with you, didn't look anything, anything like the early church, even though it was fully accepted in the modern world as this is church. And the fact that we are studying the early church must mean we are in touch with that early church where we weren't. 
Jeff, I'm curious if you could unpack just this intellectual reversion some more. I mean, you're a pastor of this mega, presumably Assembly of God church. It was an independent church at that point. An independent church. And is it like a Ignatius cannonball moment? Kind of, you know, you just go in and you, you kind of have, I'm walking away. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, no, it, you know, it was kind of scary, uh, to be honest with you, because, um, and, uh, Father Sly would, would, would concur when you're out there in an independent church and you're the pastor, you really are out there alone. You don't have, I didn't have an organization behind me. I was the pastor and I had a, a board of elders. And, um, for me to move from that meant to start a whole new world and of new friends and new leadership. But deep inside, I was craving that. I, was want, I wanted to be part of something bigger than just a church that I started. And as I read and read, it, it started looking like, you know, I, the sacraments, the liturgy. And that's where somebody introduced me to this um, uh, Episcopal charismatic group that Father Sly is very <laughs> familiar with. And I, I was in touch with them. And I ended up uh, getting together with Father Sly, who was Bishop Sly back in that organization. And I went there. And I think that if I remember right, I think that the plan was after being interviewed and spent some time with him, that I would go through a period of uh, being a deacon and then eventually a priest within the that, or, that uh, particular denomination. And while I was there visiting uh, Father Sly, one book at his book table turned everything around for me because I was looking at becoming Episcopal uh, because of the, the liturgy and the history and so forth and something solid. And it was a book uh, by Thomas Howard called Evangelical is Not Enough. And I, I looked at it at the book table. I bought it. And on the way home, flying home, I read the whole thing. And, and I was so excited because I thought, this guy's on the same track I've been on. And at the very end, he mentioned when he had um, uh, become Episcopal, I think it was. But then there was a note saying, and then in 19, whatever the date was, I became Roman Catholic. I went, what? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I didn't see that coming. And, and I knew where he lived out east. And I, I had a friend at Gordon-Conwell, uh, Dr. Marvin Wilson. And so I called him to get the number of Thomas, uh, uh, and um, I ended up calling him, and he gave me his journey. And I said, oh, my gosh, that is what's happening to me. And uh, I, I had then went through um, a, a conversion process where I understood that early church, and then I, I had to bring myself around to a detachment of everything that I've known and all, all of this and to is to jump into the deep in a sense, Duke and Altum, sure. and to and to say, Lord, if the Eucharist is the body and blood, your body and blood, there is absolutely no excuse for not not becoming Catholic. There really is no excuse. Um, and so that's that's what I ended up doing. So I came that close to being uh, with, with Father Sly. <laughs> Sly. Sure. That was, that was uh, quite a phone call when I heard from you that <laughs> you'd made a different decision. 
And uh, we kept in contact after that, I remember. And uh, uh, I was so excited when I was able to call you and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> I'm finishing yeah. the journey. Um, yeah. any, what Did you just show up at a church and just say to the pastor, I need to come back? Or what happened at that point? No, you know what I did is um, I, I thought right away about my childhood pastor. And his name was Father Paul Dudley. And I thought about him, and so I, I I was asking around, and it was Marcus Grodi that said, um, he said, well, he said you should get in touch with your childhood pastor, and I said, well, he's he's a, I think he's a bishop now. He goes, who? And I said, Paul Dudley. He goes, Bishop Dudley, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You got to get in touch with him. And so, you know, I didn't know much. I grew up Catholic. I don't I don't even know the protocol. So I got him. I got the information for the Sioux Falls Diocese, and I called him. And the lady answered, you know, Diocese of Sioux Falls. I said, yeah, is uh, Bishop Dudley there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I didn't know protocol. She said, just a minute. <laughs> and after about three minutes, the next voice on the phone was my childhood pastor. Wow. He said, Bishop Dudley. I said, Bishop, Jeff Cavins. He said, Jeff Cavins. Is your father Robert? I said, yes. How are you doing? And I said, well, you know, pretty, pretty good. I, he, I said, I'm a, I'm a Protestant minister now. And he said, how did that happen? <laughs> and I told him how it happened. And, and I said, Bishop, I, I really like to talk to you. And he said, could you come out here for a couple of days uh, from Dayton, Ohio? And I said, yes. And so I flew out there uh, unknown to uh, my elders. Uh, or any of my close friends, I flew out there for a couple of days. And it was in those that two day period that I met for hours with uh, Bishop uh, Dudley and Bishop Carlson. And, uh, and it was on the last night, about three in the morning, in the private chapel of the bishop that I got was on my knees. And I just, I just said, Jesus, I'll do it. I will do this. I will follow you. Uh, and I have to leave this up to you. And, and I, and I did. And, and when I came back, you know, I had to tell my elders what I was doing and lo and behold, it was happening to two of the elders too. Wow. They were telling one of them said, I told him I was going to be returning to the Catholic church. And one of my elders says, are Whoa, are you kidding me? I said, no. He said, do you know what's been happening to me? He said, I was raised Catholic myself. And just recently I have this drawing to, and he kind of looked around like, you know, it was a, committing a crime. He said, and he's whispered, he said, I've been praying the rosary. I said, you've been <laughs> what? Is my elder. He said, I've been yeah. praying the rosary. And then there was one other elder also who had um, been uh, praying Catholic prayers on the sly there. So pardon the pun. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, so I, I was uh, I was blown away. And then uh, I ended up coming back into the Catholic Church. And uh, it was in Minneapolis at my parents' home. And Bishop came to my parents' home. And it was there that I went to confession on the, on the, the back deck came inside and we celebrated mass for the first time in all those years. Wow. That is, that is such a beautiful story. And uh, I, I love the fact that God was also working in other hearts that kind of confirmed to you that there was something going on here bigger yeah. than yourself. Which right. Is, yeah. And there was a healing between my father and myself, you know, the, the night, the night before I left home to go to Bible college at 18 years of age, my dad and I got into a fight. And, um, 
and he he hit me <laughs> pretty good and uh, knocked me down and uh, and he, you know I he didn't like this idea of me going to a Protestant college and and I probably got a little sassy too you know like well I might have said something like well at least I'm not going to hell or something you know and that that uh, set him over the edge and so all those years we we were like you know of tension between us. And uh, it was when I said yes to coming back to the church that I told my dad and my dad and I had a tremendous reconciliation mm. and healing that we both had been carrying for about 15 years. Wow. And, uh, and it was so, so not only did I come home to the church, but I was restored to my, my uh, nuclear home, my parents. That's that's beautiful. And when you came back into the church, uh, were there areas of ministry that you immediately got involved in, or was there a time of adjustment? What what was that like? Yeah, there was a time of adjustment. It was very lonely. You know, um, you you go from you go from being a pastor, uh, a senior pastor, which means I, I speak twice a week to my people. I have Sunday and Wednesday, and and it's not a five minute homily. You know, it's a, it's an hour or so of teaching both times. And that's what the norm was. And, and you go from that and uh, counseling people, marrying people, burying people, dinners during the week, every Sunday after church, somebody takes you out to, to eat, you know, this, this is a, this is quite communal. <laughs> and then you go from that to nobody knows you mm-hmm. and you are alone it is quite it's quite a change. And it, and it took some adjusting um, to go from being a pastor to a layman and a layman that was unknown, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's like starting over. And so when I went to uh, Steubenville, because Bishop Dudley told me he wanted me to get a, um, a Catholic degree. <laughs> uh, when I went there for my graduate degree, uh, I even felt alone there. For the mm-hmm. first the first few weeks, and um, you know, you'd walk through campus, and it was a weird feeling for nobody to even know who you were. Mm-hmm. You know, and not that that's the big thing in life, but you know what I'm talking about. As a pastor, you're you're the center of a community, and mm-hmm. now you're on the outside of a much bigger community. And it was it was the work and the generosity of Father Michael Scanlon that really drew me in. I went to the registrar's office because I was going to pay for my first semester in my graduate degree. And I went there and gave them my name and they looked at the the computer and they said, well, you're all paid up. I said, what do you mean I'm all paid up? I said, yeah, uh, Father Scanlon said, this is all paid for. Wow. I thought, whoa. So I got in touch with them. I said, what's going on? And, And he said, well, Bishop Paul Dudley and I decided to start a new scholarship called the, the, the Newman scholarship for returning Catholics. And he said, your, <laughs> your graduate degree is all paid for. And I went, Oh, wow. My gosh. So that brought me in. I felt loved. I felt, mm-hmm. I felt accepted at that point. And it was shortly after that, that uh, Scott Hahn said, uh, the school wants you to teach introduction to scripture here. And so I went from, I know, leaving my pastorate, uh, as a pastor and uh, coming into the Catholic church, I think there was probably, I don't know, five months in there where it was difficult, really, really difficult mm-hmm. and alone. 
And then I started to, uh, to uh, get some traction. And at that time, you, you have to remember at that time, there was, it wasn't vogue <laughs> to leave the Protestant circles and come into the Catholic church. Uh, when you came in, there wasn't any um, pattern to follow really. And now people, right. they'll look at Scott or myself or you or Marcus Grodi or who, you know, Steve Wood, and they will say, well, if I come back into the Catholic, if I come into the Catholic church, then there's going to be a job waiting for me, which isn't always true either, but no. there certainly wasn't back then. So I actually made plans on what I could do to support myself when I uh, went back to the Catholic church. I had no idea that all of this would happen. I, mm-hmm. none. I, it wasn't even on the radar. <laughs> so, Jeff, you, were you about in your mid-30s when this reversion to the Catholic Church happened for you, if my timeline's correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I was uh, I was around 37, I think, something like that. And so at this point, I pr- you presume you're married, you have some children walking with you in this time of your life. Yep. Tell us yeah. a little bit about how that all, um, <laughs> that dimension of of this faith journey well, well, once I had made up my mind that I was going to come back to the Catholic Church, uh, I had to deal with my wife and my daughter. And my wife wasn't that excited about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, for, for her to go from being Christian Missionary Alliance to Catholic is like, in her mind, she explained it. She said, it's like, it's like asking me to, to be an Ethiopian and a completely different culture that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was very, very difficult. And I remember, uh, I thought, what am I going to do to support myself? And I, I, someone told me about an opening for a, uh, a major radio station in Cleveland, uh, for a morning drive time show. And so I got in touch with them and they said, yeah, we want you to, we want you to, uh, to make an application, but the application involves auditioning. So we want you to come and actually do the show for a couple hours in Cleveland. And that's going to be part of the audition. I thought, wow. So I went there and I did the, sh- I did the morning show. And when I was done with it, the guy came out and he said, the job's yours if you want it. And I said, well, I need to think, I just give me a night to think about this a little bit because I really felt that my life was about teaching scripture. And now I had this opportunity. So I was sitting in the hotel that night and I called my mother-in-law who who's really instrumental in me coming to the Lord at 18 years of age. And I, I started to talk to her about what I was going through and that I was had made the decision to come back into the Catholic Church, but I had this opportunity in radio. When I told her that I was, I was going to be coming back to the Catholic Church, she started crying. Mm. And I said, what's going on, Alice? And she said, well, if you go back, she said, I know that Emily's going to be going back too. And that was hard for her to swallow at that point. So when I was talking to Emily, I said, uh, I said, honey, uh, uh, I don't want this to be a point of contention. I don't want to fight over it and argue over it. All I'm doing is asking you to study what I studied and see if you, if this is what the Lord is calling you to. And so she did. And she said, yes. And so a year after I came back to the church, they converted to the Catholic church. My, my daughter was in fifth grade. 
at the time in Emily. And, um, and so that was at Steubenville. That was at Franciscan University. And, uh, and since, the, and I even told her the night before she came into the Catholic Church, I said, now you need to be sure that if you come into the church tomorrow and the day after I die, you will remain Catholic the rest of your life. And she said, I would, I would. Wow. Yeah. So that's what, that's what happened. And, and then I, uh, I continued to teach at Steubenville and then I got that one phone call from mother Angelica asking if I would come on her show to tell my story. And I said, yes. And it was on that show that that she asked me if I would do a series for EWTN. And I said, yes. And that ended up becoming our father's plan that Scott Hahn and I did. And that's now the longest running series on EWTN. And, and then, um, and it was after that show, we were walking off the set. She grabbed me by the arm and she said, honey. <laughs> and she said, would you, would you pray about starting your own show, live show here? She said, I've been wanting to reach young adults for years. And she said, the Lord just told me you're the one. And I said, whoa. And I said, I got to pray about that. So I, I went back and I, I prayed quite a bit with Bishop Dudley. And it seemed right to, to us and to the Holy Spirit. And we said yes. And we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And that's, that was for the next six years, my life, life on the rock. And I was Mother Angelica's fill-in and substitute and uh, partner in her show for six years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeff, when did uh, the great adventure come into your heart? Did that, was that something that happened during this time? Or how did that all kind of fit together? Yeah, the, the 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 great adventure started my first year as a as a pastor at 25 years old. When I was 25 years old, I um I I had such a desire to to know scripture at that point. Uh, I was I was uh, involved in um, the Center for Judaic Christian Studies out of Austin, Texas. Uh, I was studying uh, you know the faith, and uh, the one thing that I lacked was I knew the stories of the Bible, you know, you're, you're preaching and teaching. I knew the stories of the Bible, David and Goliath and Samson and Abraham and so <laughs> forth. But I, the thing I lacked was the story. I couldn't stitch it all together and tell you the entire story. I couldn't walk you. I couldn't walk you through it. And so I wanted to do that. And it's really interesting, and you would you would appreciate this, Father Sly. I was I was uh, I was taking Hebrew from the University of Minnesota at that time, and I was sitting out in my car, and I was listening to two cassette tapes by William Sanford Lesore. And he was talking yeah. about the history of archaeology of all things. And my wife has, my wife is actually a biblical archaeologist today, but I was. I was um, <laughs> I was listening to this, and I was I was fascinated by how he could go through history from the Calcolithic Age to the Bronze to the Iron, you know, and talk about the whole history of archaeology. And I thought, man, I wish I could do that with the Bible. I would love to be able to do it with the Bible. And then I I, I went and saw uh, one of my favorite singers, Phil Keggy. Mm -hmm. and, and who had later, by the way, came on Life on the Rock twice. Uh, I invited him on. 
I, I was watching him in concert and you, most people that know Phil Keggy know that he's missing a finger is cut off right. in a lawnmower accident when he was a kid. <clears throat> and this guy plays the guitar so well. And I noticed his fingers on the fretboard moving effortlessly with his eyes shut. And I literally said, I want to know the Bible like that. I want to be able to move anywhere on the Bible, that fretboard, that biblical salvation fretboard, you know? And so I, I suddenly was sitting in the car and I got this idea, this, I could create a chart and the chart would take me through the Bible, through the various periods. And I would pick out the books that were the narrative that would keep it moving. It, and I'm telling you, the Bible timeline chart that people see today for the great adventure is about 95% of what I saw in my mind when I was 25 years old. And I got so excited about it, which I have a tendency to be, to be passionate. And I didn't go to class that day. I put the car in reverse. I went to a arts and crafts store and got some markers and rulers. And, and then I went to a meat market and got a big piece of white paper and went home. And for, and I'm not kidding you here, I stayed up 48 hours and I created that entire chart with all my books. And then I, I gave it to uh, wow. Dr. Marvin Wilson to look over. And there it was. And you talk about a sense of satisfaction of there's the story. And I started to teach it to my church and they got excited. And when I first developed it, it was color coded and it actually had a, a type of food for every period as well. So when I taught it, people were, for example, in the conquest of Canaan, they were eating grapes on the table, as they had a table they were sitting on, everyone has some grapes and they were eating grapes as they're learning about, you know, uh, the conquest and so forth. And the manna, they had uh, pita bread, I think it was. So that that's when that, that began. And I, I basically made the giant chart and then I brought it to a printer. I shrunk it down so that I could carry it around with me. And it was for me. That's it. That was for me. And it was to lay out in front of me when I studied scripture and I could always visually see where I was at and what, what other books fit into this period. And it, it, it really wasn't in a formal form like you see today until I became Catholic. I was in a sketched form more like, you know, and, and when I, when I taught it at the beginning, everybody had to have uh, colored pencils and rulers and they created their own charts with me. And uh, later on, you know, I met Matt Pinto at Ascension Press and we, we forged a relationship to, to develop the great adventure in a more formal way. And uh, I re still remember the first night I came to Scott Hahn's house. Uh, it was my first trip to Steubenville I and I wasn't even Catholic yet. And I brought my chart with him and I showed it to him and his response was, oh. <laughs> He's like, I love this. And, and, uh, and, uh, and that became the basis of our father's plan, the show that we did together. So, you know, my life since I was uh, 25 has been really focused on teaching people how to read the Bible as a narrative. I know that it's a narrow it's a narrow thing, you know, to, to set your, your sights on, but that really has been my life. And I, I had no idea that when I created that chart at 25, I had no idea that this would mark the rest of my life. No idea. It was just a chart for me. And I, I didn't even show it to people for quite a while, you know. And, you still have the piece of butcher paper, Jeff? 
I don't have the big piece of butcher paper, but I do have uh, I have a derivative of the first chart that's written written in. I have awesome. I think the second chart that I did. Nice. I have that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when I started to realize that that when I told people about this chart and I showed them how to read it, they got so excited. And word got around, and I started to have pastors from Assembly of God churches and other churches in the area. They would contact me and say, "Hey, I'd like to get together with you." And and I say, "Sure." And then we'd get together, and and they'd say, "I hear you got this chart." And I say, "Yeah, I do." And I show it to them, and they go, "Wow!" Do you? They'll say, "Do you mind if I get a copy of that?" I say, no, not at all. I'll make a copy for you. And it was almost like they were saying, "And could you not?" share this with anybody that I got this is like they were, they were, they were saying basically, uh, and some of them did say, said, I went through uh, divinity school. I didn't understand any of this, like this story like this. And so I, I knew I, would la I landed on something. And I guess the, the story of the great adventure all these years is that if you land on something that that there's a real need for in the church. And that is, how do you read the Bible? I mean, think about it. Most Bibles don't come with instructions. Uh, and you stick with it and you have passion. Your gift makes room for itself. And I, and I say that to graduates who contact me all the time. They'll say, I'm getting ready to graduate from Franciscan University. And basically, I want to know, how do I do what you're doing? And I say, well, you don't want to do what I'm doing. You want to do what God's calling you to do. And you need to right. find out what, what that is. And you need to be passionate about it, whether you get paid or not. You, you pursue that. And it's my whole life now, but for the, first, for the first 15 years, I never even made a penny off of any of it. I gave it all away. You know? I make a penny now. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And um, in addition to that, I know another one of your passions is the area of evangelization and discipleship. Uh, I know those are very important. In addition to the Great Adventure Series, what are some other things in your ministry that you have done or are doing to kind of help to stimulate uh, people to become real followers of Jesus? Right. Well, the, you know, of all the topics in Christianity, of course, the Bible is, is what uh, I believe that God called me to. You know, as a young boy, even, and my, I remember the first night that, uh, that I was uh, confirmed, I was attracted to the Bible that night. That was the night it began, uh, 1971. But um, after that, I really became uh, focused on discipleship and evangelization. And I wanted to follow Jesus the way the disciples did. As I said earlier, I didn't want a personal relationship with theology. I, I wanted to follow Jesus and I wanted to hear his voice and I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. And so studying the early roots of Christianity, the Jewish roots of Christianity, I came to a better understanding of the rabbi-disciple relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I have spent a tremendous amount of time in that area. And I wrote a book called The Activated disciple. And I try to, I try in there to talk about the roots of discipleship and the, the foundation in the old Testament and how we, how this develops in the, in the new Testament. So I've been teaching the school of discipleship at the seminary in St. Paul, and I'm teaching laity 
uh, how to become activated disciples. And part of that course is evangelization, mm-hmm. where I'm teaching Catholics how to share their faith or what we would have said in years past, uh, Father, witness. <laughs> you know, I'm teaching them how to witness mm-hmm. uh, and to tell people the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And, and that good news is the kerygma. Fancy word for the proclamation. And and we see this eight times in the book of Acts where there is a proclamation of the gospel. Now, here's what's interesting is that in a in a in a non-scientific poll that was taken uh, a couple of years ago, we found that the majority of good Catholics, conference-going Catholics, CD listening Catholics, podcast listening, you know. EWTN, Christian Radio, didn't know what the gospel was. And you say, what? It's true. Uh, they, were, they go to Mass all the time. They pray the rosary. They, they uh, divine mercy. They read the lives of the saints. And it's all, yay, great. But they didn't know what the gospel was. They could say things like, well, you know, God loves us and you know, just some things, but it it wasn't a message. And so I set out to to uh, to make it a priority to teach my students in the Twin Cities, which we have 5,000 graduates in the Twin Cities for the Catechetical Institute that we started years ago, and to teach them the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel. And how do I strike up a conversation? How do I witness to people? And so that's what we've been doing. And the results are are unbelievable. The, we've got Catholics who are speaking to strangers about Jesus with enthusiasm and praying with them and bringing them into the RCIA program in their church, which is wow. the right Christian initiation for adults. And so that message, we make this too difficult. You know, we have so many excuses as to why we won't share Christ with people. You know, one of the great excuses is, well, that's not my gift. Give me a break. That is not your gift. And of course, it's not your gift. None of this is your gift. God has called us to rise up and to live at at a place that was above everything that we that we knew, you know? And so when people say, well, that's not my gift. Well, I then I would say that when you pass the, the, the offering basket on Sunday, that's not my gift either. You know, find someone else like here. Did anyone else have this gift around me? This isn't my gift. Well, we're all, we're called to do things that we never thought we'd do say things we never thought we would say, talk to people we never thought we would meet. And so we need courage we need we need love and to be motivated by love and not be afraid of the simple message of the gospel and this is what i tell my students that that uh that they they stop and they'll say well i'm not even going to start up a conversation with someone because what if they bring up the priest scandal what if they bring up female priests what if they bring up um the the problems in in the church what if they bring up a scripture and i don't know anything about it they come up with so many excuses, and and the truth of the matter is, is that it it is the message, the proclamation, that has in it the power 
to reach a heart. It, that message in itself, this is the, one of the hardest things to get across to people, that it isn't your cleverness. It isn't your knowledge. Mm-hmm. It isn't your, your mm-hmm. good looks or whatever, or you're being cool on social media. It is the message that gets inside of the hearts. I can't get inside of your heart. But the, but the Holy Spirit can, and the Holy Spirit needs some rails to ride, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And so that, that proclamation is very simple. Number one, God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. That's the truth. Number two, sin has really made a mess of this. Number three, Jesus loves you so much he died for your sins. Number four, he wants you now to repent, or as the catechism says, radically reorient your life to him. And number five, he wants you to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Number six, join his amazing church. And number seven, you now will go out and you will make disciples. So I, I, I say that and I teach that. Now, I taught this up in Canada a couple of years ago, and these two guys that were like 21 years old came up to me afterwards, and they said, they said, Mr. Cavins, oh, that was a great talk. Loved it. I'm going to get the CD, you know, that. And they said, we just have a question. We, we love that message, but we just wonder if there's another way to put it that our society might be more receptive to. And I, th- I looked at him and I said, give me a moment. And I thought, hmm, huh. And after about 45 seconds or so, I looked at him and I said, no. No other way to put it. I said, guys, everything I told you was the truth. And here's the kicker. The scriptures say that the spirit confirmed the message that's what happens. The Holy Spirit confirms the message in the one who is listening and their eyes open. And they said, oh, I get it. You mean the power is in the message? And I said, yes, yeah, it, it is. And, and we all, all three of us, Kyle, uh, Father, we know that the greatest evangelist in American history did nothing but share the charisma. And that was Billy Graham. And right. you can remember, you remember, Father, you, I'm sure you've been to some of the crusades. You, he's, here's this, this tall, lanky guy standing up there in front of 50,000 people in a stadium. And what does he say? God loves you. And God has a plan for your life. Mm-hmm. But sin has destroyed this plan. But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you and you. <laughs> And you, and he's asking you today to repent. And I'm going to call you to repent and give your life to Christ and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he says this, and 8,000 people stand up crying, come forward and receive Christ. You think, well, was it because he was just so clever? No, he just told them the truth. And, and, and so we're, we're teaching Catholics this now, and they are having so much fun in sharing Christ with people and, and then bringing the, the faith, the Catholic faith into this as they share in such a beautiful way. You know, it's interesting as you're sharing those things, I think back to Bill Bright of Campus Crusade for Christ and the fact that for students, he put it together in a little booklet so that they could share the booklet as a transferable concept of, 
you know, of the four spiritual laws. But mm -hmm. One of the things he said that always stuck with me, he said, success in witnessing is simply sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Exactly. Yeah. You that's know, not my business, but the results are not my business. Right. And I think so many times people feel like I've got to have a result. And I know for me, even in my encounter with God, when I was in my late teens, you same parallel track. It was the right place at the right time, but it was God doing the work. It wasn't uh, anything having to do with somebody being clever or unique. It was just, I was ready to hear the message yeah, and ready to respond. Yeah. And you look at the, you look at the testimony of the disciples, we're the least, you know, I mean, if you look at when Jesus called them to be disciples, they were already bypassed by the great rabbis. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody chose them. Jesus chose the unchosen to change the world. And uh, if, it, if it was, a, Paul says, it's not the cleverness and, yeah. or anything. It's, it's passion to, to tell people in a very personal and authentic way that, you know, listen, Bob, um, maybe no one's ever told you this before, but I want you to know that in the circumstances you're in right now in your marriage, God loves you. He really does. And he has a, he has a plan. For your life. That is the truth. And, and people need to know that will pierce a heart. Even if they give you the look like, oh, whatever, I know what it'll do. And I can tell you story after story after story of people whose lives have changed when they heard the truth. Of course, we're too sophisticated for the truth today, right? Yeah. <laughs> got to be cool and kind of bring them in through the back door. And now, just be authentic. <laughs> yeah, if a big part of our listening audience are those involved in the Ministry of Catholic Education, uh, it could be parents, Catholic school leaders, teachers. And right now, the metrics in our American Catholic Church are, are not very hopeful as, as we're looking at you know, some of the uh, sacraments of initiation rates, particularly over the last 20 years and other data points, you know, church membership, even outside of the Catholic Church, plummeting below 50%. Mm -hmm. for the first time in if you if i paid fifteen thousand dollars a year to send my kids to wizard of oz academy and after 15 years at graduation they don't know who toto is <laughs> and and after 15 years of of uh of um, Wizard of Oz Academy, they don't know where the yellow brick road leads to, and they don't know what a tornado is. That's called failure. That's what that is. Let's be honest about it. That's called failure. And so the, the one of the first things we have to do is lay a foundation of God's amazing plan. And that's the way the catechism starts off. It talks about the very first paragraph that God has an amazing plan, a yep. plan of sheer goodness. And these kids can go all the way through and never learn that plan. So mm -hmm. an understanding of the Bible. And number two, your place in that as a disciple, right. as, a as a follower. And we need to mentor this. We need, they need to be mentored in what that relationship is like on a daily, on a daily basis and how to, navigate, how to navigate through life. So we need teachers who are on that, in that story and not teachers on the outside of the story trying to speak to kids that should be in the story. We need, we need teachers who are, have a conversion in their life, who are uh, lovingly leading 
leading students. And the parents need to be on board on yep. this. It's a, it's a three-way effort here. That's, that's great. I'm going to use that Wizard of Oz Academy uh, <laughs> metaphor, Jeff, if I may. Yes, you could. Yeah, $100 a shot. No, yeah. it, is a, it is a good way to look at it, though, isn't it? It you is. Know that, it's a very you know, helpful and, framework. Yep. And if you can go through 12 years of Catholic mm-hmm. education and you don't know what the message is or you don't know even the four Gospels, which get this, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, I did a confirmation class about eight years ago. I, I was a substitute and I went in there and I asked this, it was all girls, high school, from the suburbs, very wealthy families, and <laughs> driving BMWs to the class. And I said, uh, how many of you know the Lord's Prayer? One girl did. I said, how many of you can, can tell me the four Gospels? None of them. They've been going to a Catholic school for four years four years or for um, for four years, a Catholic high school paid for and couldn't tell me the basics. And I told him about Jesus. And one of the girls said, she said, this is intriguing, Jesus. She said, do you know where I could read more about him? That's Catholic. So that's, <laughs> we got, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. Now I know that a lot of schools are not like that, like Providence Academy and some of the other schools, St. James, you know, in, in uh, Kansas. And there's so many wonderful, wonderful schools, but you're right that if you use the, the Wizard of Oz analogy, it's, um, it's a yep. bit embarrassing. Yep. No, it's, it's a very helpful. Hmm. Well, Jeff, we could, I think we could keep going for hours. <laughs> yeah. uh, this has been so rich and we, we might use this as an excuse to get you back. And we also want to have Emily on and talk a little oh, bit yeah. about what she's doing and also her book on uh, St. Kateri and, and other things going on. But you guys are uh, just such a wonderful part of, of bringing life and, and uh, again, the, the essence of the gospel into the hearts and lives of so many. And we're just so thankful that you were with us today. And uh, uh, well, I, w- just- I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Father, because um, while you and I met as Protestant ministers years and years ago, it was your love for the Lord and the love for the liturgy and your willingness to, to enthusiastically take me into what you were doing that gave me a real boost. And I, I was very excited at that point. I just, I had, when you and I met, I had no idea this was going to end up down mm-hmm. another road that we both would go down. Oh, but I, know, I, want, know. I want to thank you for what God has done in, uh, in your life to be a blessing to me and my family. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks be to God for that. So, Jeff, again, we'll probably uh, look for having you back again. This has been really rich. And uh, and thank you for just being op- open and sharing your heart and, and sharing your wisdom with us today. And for our viewers and listeners, if you haven't done this already, if you would uh, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a message, of a, a comment to encourage us toward future programs, we would really appreciate that. And uh, also, we want to thank our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. And until next time, may Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, 
you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.